You're listening to The Brook in Madison, Alabama. Good morning. So take out a pen, really, actually, uh, or your phone or something, and write down two words. Embracing accusation. And go home and get on iTunes or wherever you need to go and find the song by Shane and Shane, Embracing Accusation. And just let your mind and your heart be blown into oblivion by the words of that song. It's what you just heard. You heard a little snippet of it, but uh, it's one of the most powerful songs I've ever listened to. Um, I would also like to echo what Chip said a minute ago. Um, My family went on the family retreat, and man, were we blessed. And um, so I'm so grateful that we had that time, not just as a family, but with other families and friends. Um, I also, before I get rolling here, um, would like to tell you guys, um, I know that maybe some of you think the only evidence of miracles in the world is Tennessee football these days, Um, but I have further evidence. Uh, About six or seven months ago, my mother-in-law was diagnosed with cancer, and she was not just diagnosed with cancer, she was diagnosed with stage four Hodgkin's lymphoma. Go home and Google that, and you'll see that about 95% of the people Maybe you get a couple more years through your treatment. Uh, My mother-in-law had a PET scan on Wednesday, and on her way out of town from being mandatory evacuated from her home, the doctor called her to tell her, Ann, I don't really know how to tell you this, but I can't find any cancer on your scan. Uh, And I've looked over and over and over, and I just can't find any cancer. And um, so there you go. Uh, And, you know, I pray all the time, God, heal, please heal, and we'll be quick to give you the glory. And so my wife called me on Monday, and I was at, like, Atlanta Bread Company studying. I started telling strangers. Uh, And I told a lady Thursday morning named Patrice over here at the gym, and Patrice and I worship God together at Planet Fitness because of it. So praise the Lord. Um, I still have vivid memories uh, of things that happened in childhood, and one of them is in the second grade, sitting in Mrs. Shelton's class in Lakeside Elementary School in Chattanooga, Tennessee. A math test was handed out, and I got that math test, and, but over on the wall of our room, which is right by the windows, there was a poster of Mickey and Minnie Mouse. Now, even though I had never been to Disney World at this point in time, All I can tell you was that several minutes later, a bell started ringing, and I was at Disney World. And I suddenly realized, oh my, Uh, this class is over, and my test is blank, Uh, but boy, I was having fun at Disney World. And I went up to Mrs. Shelton's desk, and I don't really, I don't remember what I said to her, but I remember this woman having a lot of compassion, because she let me sit down at the table next to her desk take my test, which I probably finished in like five minutes, got a hundred on it. Um, But all I know how to tell you is uh, I went somewhere else. Um, When I was in the second grade, quite frankly, when I was in the seventh grade, 
people did not know what ADD was, okay? And all throughout my life, up through probably middle school, even high school, I heard, read the words multiple times that teachers would say or write to my parents, Brian is really, really smart. Brian is, is very intelligent. Brian has great potential if he could just apply himself. He just can't seem to apply himself. I'm just going to tell you straight up, I applied myself to lots of stuff. That was not the problem. The problem was I could not stay focused on anything, anything at all, all right? And now, if you're a kid who can't stay focused on anything, one thing that makes life really crazy is if you have a teacher that can't stay focused, And so if you have a teacher that starts going off on what we call, you know, a rabbit trail, chasing a rabbit, and you're a kid that's already having enough trouble, like staying focused, uh, this sends you into oblivion, right? Now, this is the case until you get to maybe college, all right? Thankfully for me, um, most of my early childhood, I could not pay attention. I, I paid attention, I just couldn't stay focused on anything. Then I got to middle school, and this transferred, man. In middle school, I was the definition of hyperactive, uh, crazy, like this kid needs a tranquilizer. And then I got to high school, and it shifted back to I can't pay attention. But somehow, through the course of years, I began to discipline myself and learned how to deal with this. But when you get to college and you get a professor who chases rabbits, this is actually fairly enjoyable at times. And I got into college and uh, had a professor at Dallas Baptist University named Dr. Bell. And all of us began to realize, Dr. Bell, man, he can chase some rabbits. The thing about Dr. Bell was when he started going off, that's when you really started to learn stuff. Because he was telling us stuff then that wasn't on like the script or what, that he hadn't prepared. So we would get together outside of class and try and come up with questions to ask or comments to make to get Dr. Bell to go off subject, go off on a tangent. And we just all soaked it in. Well, so when you start reading Ephesians chapter 3, you could get the idea that maybe Paul is like Brian and has ADD, or maybe Paul's like my professor at Dallas Baptist University, and Paul just goes off on a rabbit trail. Paul starts to pray, and then it's like he turns the car 90 degrees and slams everybody's head into the the window over there, and you go, whoa, what just happened? Uh, Like Paul got distracted or started chasing a rabbit. But I don't think that's what happened at all here. Um, I believe what happens is Paul starts a prayer, but then he begins this very intentional and purposeful digression. In fact, what he stops and and begins to say, it lays the foundation, it it actually completes the foundation for what he's going to go on to pray for the Ephesians and for us. And I'll just say that even if it is a rabbit trail, it's a trail worth walking down. So that's what we're going to do this morning. Look with me in Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. 
For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. Stop right there, because the very first thing that Paul finally, he's three chapters in, all of a sudden he decides to let us know, before he makes the 90 degree turn is, I'm writing this from prison. In fact, he is in prison because of taking and preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, which is who the Ephesians are. But so this is the first time in the letter that he's let them know, oh, hey, by the way, writing from jail. Then he moves on. Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. Paul says, assuming that you have heard. Okay, so in writing the churches in Ephesus, Paul knows that there are hopefully if the gospel is continuing to spread and and therefore the churches are continuing to grow, um, Paul knows that there are going to be those either reading or hearing his letter who have come to faith after his ministry there. There are people that are going to hear this letter that they didn't meet Paul, they've just heard about Paul. So assuming that you've heard of everything that happened to me and as a result is now happening to you, Verse 4, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. A a theme begins to present itself here in Ephesians chapter 3, and it's not a new theme because Paul has already hammered on it all throughout the letter. This idea of God's grace given to me. In verse 2, I want you to take note of a, a... a phrase that I don't find really anywhere else in the New Testament. In verse 2, Paul mentions uh, that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace, this stewardship of God's grace that was given to me. Then he goes on in verse 6 and says that we are partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Verse 7, we are recipients of God's grace. He's, he's laying out thick once again. God's grace is prevalent in all of this. Verse 8, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you which is your glory. So Paul lays out this grace that was given to me, and then he says, this grace was given to me to know and understand the mystery of the gospel, to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ, 
and to bring to light for everyone the mystery of the gospel. So let's boil that down even simpler. Paul says that this grace of God was given to me so that I might know the mystery of God in Christ and so that I might make known to everyone else the mystery of God in Christ. Paul is saying, because I received God's grace in Christ, I now also deliver that grace as well. So going back to that phrase in in verse 2, the stewardship of God's grace... What, what Paul is saying here is that this grace I'm given comes with a responsibility. We use the word stewardship a lot because it's all throughout the scriptures. Um, we're told to be stewards of what God has given to us. Um, whether you n- know this already or you're just coming to realize it, you don't really own anything. If you're a a believer, a child of God, you realize that every good and perfect gift in your life comes from above. We have been given everything that we are given, not to be owners, but to be stewards of those things. Um, Our money, our finances, all of that is to be held loosely. Um, You've been given gifts, talents, strengths. Those are given to you not for your benefit, but for the benefit of people around you. You're to steward those things. But here Paul says that you and I are stewards of God's grace. This grace comes with a responsibility. If we receive and partake in the grace of God through the gospel, we must also extend and deliver that to others through the gospel. Paul understands this so much so to the extent that he's in prison because of it. Paul's in prison because he knew this grace has overwhelmed me. I've got to take it to those who don't have it and who need it. And because of that, Paul's writing this letter to the people he took that grace to from jail. He's suffering on behalf of the calling to share the gospel and make disciples. And so knowing that leads me, and it should lead you to kind of asking this question, what am I sacrificing for the sake of that calling? What, what are we risking for the gospel if we're risking anything at all? Now, let's talk for a minute about that calling, as I put it. What is that calling on your life and on mine? Because I think we confuse this sometimes. If you go back to Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, take a look. Jesus has gone and he's found these two brothers, Peter and Andrew, and then he goes and finds these other two brothers, James and John, they all four happen to be fishermen, and he he's not just now meeting them, okay? He's known who they are. They know who Jesus is. They've been kind of following behind him, listening to what he's doing and saying, and Jesus finally seeks them out one day and says to them, hey, come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And the scripture tells us, Matthew tells us, that they drop their nets and they come and follow him. Follow me and I will make you believers. Follow me and I will make you converts. Follow me and I'll make you charismatics. I'll make you philosophers. I'll turn you into zealots. Nope, doesn't say any of those things. He says, you follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Fishers of men, come follow me. Okay, translation, come be my disciples and I will make you fishers of men. 
I will make you disciple makers. Come and be my disciples, and I will make you disciple makers. Let me repeat that. Jesus said, come and be my disciple, Peter and Andrew, James and John, Martin, Lisa, Dee and Susan. Come, come be my disciples, and I will make you disciple makers. If Jesus is clear on this, this is what he's saying, come follow me. And, and Paul is clear on this. How are there still so many who think that being a Christian is simply about belief in Jesus and not obedience to Jesus? How is that? I will tell you how it is. It's because the church has failed to teach the scripture. This is what Jesus says. Maybe our foundational view of Christianity, the church, and the kingdom of God is what's hindering us in this. Now, I'm going to go out on a limb here because I'm, I'm, I'm exposing uh, one of my weaknesses here in a second. Um, if you're like me, visual helps you. So this past week, I started drawing. Like, is there any way that we could maybe see these issues? Uh, I want you to take a look at what I, I'm going to call the traditional view versus the biblical view. All right? Here is the traditional view of being a Christian. Okay? And I know it's the most rocking stick figure that you've ever seen in your life, but contain yourself. Okay? Here's what happens. You go to church. Maybe mom and dad drag you. Um, maybe you wind up at a revival, uh, maybe a friend invites you, something like that happens. You hear about Jesus, you probably hear about hell as well. I don't want any part of that. I like the Jesus part. You believe and receive. I believe who Jesus is, that he did what he said he did, and so I receive him. And what that usually comes out as is, I invite him or ask him into my heart. And there's one of the beginnings of our problem in that that's not biblical, but let's move forward. Then as a result of that, I continue going to church because that's what they told me I needed to do, and I'm enjoying this. And in going to church, I understand I need to live morally, do these things, not do these things. I need to love Jesus. And maybe in the process of all that, I may recruit some more friends to come and join this with me, thereby growing the church. And so they go to church, and the process happens all over again. That's the traditional way this has happened in probably all of our lifetimes. Now let's look at the biblical view, which is equally as mind-blowing artistically, I assure you. Here's what happens in the scriptures. We meet Jesus. And yes, we do believe and receive. I believe that you are who you say you are. I receive what you have done for me that I could never have done on my own. But the result of that is that I surrender to him, that I choose to follow Jesus. And in doing that, I become a Christ follower. I become a disciple. I also become a missionary. So if you're here this morning and this is the first time this news has been levied to you, 
I hope it's good news for you. You are a missionary. Even if it's to Huntsville, Alabama, you are a missionary. Now, when you become a Christ follower, when you are a missionary, you want to be with other Christ followers and missionaries, so you seek those people out. You find other Christ followers to worship, grow, and serve together alongside you realize when you come together that the scriptures say, hey, we are sent out on mission together for the gospel. And when that happens, other people meet Jesus, surrender to him, follow him, thereby starting this cycle. The church doesn't exist so that there will be disciples and missionaries. The church exists because there are disciples and missionaries. You might need to write that down. There will be people that you know that will argue with what I just said. Let me say it again. You might want to argue with me. I'm fine with that. Let's have lunch. The church does not exist so that there will be disciples and missionaries. The church exists because there are disciples and missionaries. Don't believe me? Go read Acts 2. This is not a chicken and egg thing. It's not a, well, we can't tell what came first. Oh, yes, we can. There were disciples And they made more disciples who made more disciples. And then the next thing you know, the Holy Spirit comes and we have the New Testament church. The disciples came first. And see, what we've spent most of our lifetime doing is trying to erect buildings and have a church and somehow out of that grow disciples and missionaries. We've gotten it backwards. But let's turn the car around. Let's get it right. God has brought the gospel to light to us so that he might now bring the gospel to light through us. Okay? Listen to what the NIV Life Application Commentary says about this. To receive grace is to be taken into its service. Grace connects, enlists, and empowers. It will not allow us to be passive, for it's God's power at work in us. Grace brings responsibility. The gift cannot be separated from the giver, and the giver is a worker. The the grace of God that we receive through the gospel, it calls us to action. It calls us to work. And now... Once again, I have to place that asterisk here and repeat this so we don't confuse this. We don't work and labor so that we will receive God's love and mercy and grace. We work and we labor because we already have. There's a quote by Ralph Waldo Emerson. He says, Only so much do I know as I have lived. Now let me give you the Brian Mayfield of the Ralph Waldo Emerson. Only so much do I believe have I obeyed. Let me break it down even further. If I don't obey it and live it out, I don't really believe it. If I don't obey it and live it out, I don't really believe it. All Christ followers are managers and stewards, as Paul says, 
of God's grace. All those who have received this gift of grace are called to now extend it to others. Friends, let me acknowledge this. If you are unaware of or ignorant of that calling, that's on us. If you are a a Christian and you are unaware of that calling, that's on us, the church. That's on us, those who have answered the call to preach and teach the word of God. But I will tell you, that is why we hold in such high position the preaching and teaching of God's word. And I will also say to you, in this moment, your claim to ignorance is now over because it has been communicated. But if you were or are ignorant to that calling, that's on us. But now let me say this. If you don't value this calling, that's on you. If you don't value that the Son of God who died for you and rose again basically said, one thing I ask, that you come and surrender your life and follow me. If you don't value that calling, I cannot help you raise the value level. Only you can do that. See, value determines demand. Value determines action. The value that we place on something determines the hardship that we're willing to endure, to endure the risk that we're willing to take on behalf of it. So I would ask you to consider this morning, how much do you value the grace of God that you have received through the gospel of Jesus Christ? What value do you place on that? Our Heavenly Father, through the power of His Spirit, has revealed to us the revelation that we are saved by grace through His Son. God's love, His mercy... His grace are revealed in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If we value the gospel as God's revelation for us in Christ Jesus, then it will change our lives. It will change how we think. It will change how we act. It will change how we speak. It will change how we view Tuesdays. It will change how we look at our coworkers and our neighbors. It will literally change everything. If we value the grace we have received through the gospel. How much did Paul value this? Well, Paul valued it so much that he went from persecuting Christians, from hunting them down to murder them, to now going to jail for the sake of making sure that there was not one person on the face of this planet that he somehow could reach with the gospel that he failed to reach. I would say that Paul's value changed dramatically. Paul, when you read through Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, when you read through Timothy, Titus, you begin to see there's really no question Paul's whole life is about the gospel. Everything he does, everything he says, everything he eats, sleeps, breathes. We ought to be gospel people. We ought to be constantly reminding ourselves and one another of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Um. We ought to be solving our problems by applying the gospel. I had the opportunity to counsel with a couple this week who came and and had said, 
hey, Brian, we need help in our marriage. And I said, let's do it. Let's get some help. But we got to start at the beginning. If you are not preaching the gospel to yourself in your marriage every day, dying to yourself and embracing what Christ has done for you, forget all the books I can give you. Forget all the marriage counseling that we can do. It begins with the gospel. We've got to be looking through the lens of the gospel and watching how it changes everything that we see. And as a result of all of that, in every opportunity that we have, we ought to be sharing the gospel. Gospel people. But it's all about what we value. Jesus told lots of parables. Probably the shortest parable that Jesus told. Look with me in Matthew 13. Jesus told a parable about value. Matthew 13, verse 45. We refer to this as the pearl of great price or the pearl of great value. Jesus said, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. I want you to notice something maybe you haven't noticed before because I'm sure a lot of you probably read this parable. Did you notice that the merchant went out looking for what? He was out looking for pearls. You know why? Because he's like us. He refuses to believe that all his satisfaction and everything he needs could possibly be found in one place. Because, you know, we don't, we're not good with, like, an iPhone 6. I'm not good with 13 pair of shoes. I'm not good with my five-year-old car. I mean, there's always something, right? He went out looking for pearls, man. But he found one pearl that was greater in value than all the other pearls put together, and he sold everything that he had to get it. You could look at it and go, that's kind of, I think I know what Jesus was saying, and that's kind of arrogant. Because Jesus, without even saying it, is saying, hey, I'm the pearl. But you know what? If you are the son of God, that's not arrogant. That's love. To say, I need you to know that everything you've been searching for is standing right in front of you. Paul wrote this letter, thank the Lord. But imagine if you would, if this was all today, then Paul might have gotten what? A phone call. He's in jail. Paul, who do you want to call? I want to call the Ephesians. Do they have like a number? You know, it's going to conference call them or what? If Paul got a call to them, I think that he might say, hey, it's Paul. Um, I'm in jail. No, 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 don't worry. Don't, don't panic. I'm not telling you this uh, to make you feel bad or guilty. Uh, I'm also not telling you this so that you'll worry or you'll feel sorry for me. In fact, uh, I want you to know this, this is cake. Because I will endure anything this world throws at me for the sake of sharing the gift of God's grace with those who are lost. Nothing is worth more to me than my life being spent for the sake of my Savior. 
just want to call and say, hey. There is a pearl of great value, and there is only one. His name is Jesus. His grace is sufficient. His grace is enough. Have you received it? Because if you and I have received it, the next question becomes, are we now delivering it? Though I am the very least of the saints, this grace was given to me to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone this beautiful, life-changing mystery of the gospel so that through the church, through the people of God, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known. Let's pray. Lord, this morning we acknowledge once again that it is by your grace that we have been saved through faith. That it is not of ourselves, it is not our own doing, it is not our own initiation, that you have drawn our hearts to you. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have loved us so much that while we were still in the midst of our sin and our rebellion that you died for us. Lord, we pray that you would overwhelm us this morning once again with your grace and your mercy and your love. Lord, would you give us a vision of what our life ought to look like as bearers and deliverers of that grace? God, would you break our hearts for the lost around us? Lord, would you break any and every chain or wall of apathy and complacency in our hearts and lives. Would you give us courage and vision to proclaim Jesus Christ has changed my life. He can change yours. In just a moment, we're going to respond to the Lord with a song of praise to Him. If you're here this morning and and you would say, I don't know Jesus, but I would like to know more what that means. In a moment, when we stand to sing, some of our pastors, elders, leaders are going to be in the back at the tables. I assure you there's nothing more they would rather do today than share the gospel with you. To pray with you. 
If you need to come to the, the cross, to the steps, make that an altar, pray, please come. Lord Jesus, in these moments, we exalt you and worship you and thank you. We pray that not only our words and our songs, but our hearts and our lives would bring you honor and glory. Let's stand together. for listening to The Brook. If you'd like more information about our church or what it means to follow Christ, you can visit our website at thebrookchurch.com.